Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, that's good. So first of all, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, it's a time of year, obviously, you probably think the Sunday after New Year's Day, it's the end of the festive season, but it's not really. The 12th day of Christmas is actually on the 6th of January, which is Epiphany Day. It's been celebrating the visit of the three wise men, or the Magi, to the infant Jesus. It's a story in which fact and legend are very well blended together. It's almost impossible to tell one from the other which true and which isn't. It's a story about men who studied stars, they studied in the East, and they came from the East. It was a new science of the East, of how to foretell the future and what was to be happening. They've been told by many sources that a baby would be born who would change everything, and that a particular star they saw in the sky was their guide to the baby. We don't know how many men there were, or what the names were, or what they were like. We know very little about them. It's only the legends that later grew up. We give them names, numbers, and even thrones. But in Matthew's original story, the name is numberless and throneless. Merely wise men from the East. One of the things we do know about is that the Magi saw truth. One of the things that never ceases to amaze me about the Bible is that when we open it, every page is like a mirror. Open it almost anywhere, we can perhaps see our reflected selves. You may say, Herod, the other principal figure in this passage, was a king. We aren't kings. Some might think we are, and some may act like they are, but they're not kings. Herod wasn't only a king, he was also a scoundrel. Surely there's no reflection of ourselves in him. Historical accuracy of this story has been questioned. Attempts to identify the stars in some constellations or others are never explained satisfactorily for the critics. The story not only involves a star which attracts and draws us, it also involves the slaughter of many children, and that doesn't attract us, it repels us. Perhaps not always, but you know. Where then on this particular page of the Bible can we see any reflection of ourselves? Well, let's begin with Herod. The wise men went first to Herod to find out where the new king was to be born. Very logical, he's the man in charge. They had seen his star as it rose in the sky and they turned westwards to welcome the newborn king. Herod turned to his advisors and counsellors and found out that Bethlehem was the town. He gave the wise men the information they wanted and then he asked them, what time did the star appear? He wanted to know the exact time for the reasons which he had the wits not to divulge. He wasn't going to tell you why he really wanted them. When he told him, he said, when you find a child, come back and tell me where he is I can worship him also. That was a lie. He had no intention whatsoever of worshipping the child. His only intention was to get rid of him. We don't see ourselves in Herod as he slaughtered the innocent children. 
but we can see a dim reflection of our own self in the situation that produced that lie. And if we look in the mirror carefully, you know, we may be able to recognise someone that looks like ourselves. Let's look at the situation more closely. Like most lies, is the fruit of insecurity. Herod's throne was by no means secure. He held it only by the courtesy and the consent of Rome. He had little in himself to give him security. Little by little, he wasn't a very nice character by any means. Less by personal qualities that make a person strong. He had never been a person who was sure either of himself or his position. If he had been, he wouldn't have been there where he was. Sitting therefore on a very uneasy, shaky throne, he was unusually sensitive to every threat to that position. The rising star of a rival was something that he couldn't tolerate. His lie was the only protective weapon he had. It was part of his self-defense program. The pathetic thing about it, as we look back on it, is that Herod, like most stars, like most liars, deceived only himself. The wise men didn't have to be told not to go back to Herod. They were smart enough to see through that insecure puppet game. And they had no intention of going back to him from the beginning. They went home by an entirely different route and bypassed Jerusalem completely. The tragic thing about all deception is that it's always self-deception in the end. You may deceive others for the moment, but only the person we really deceive is ourselves. The fourth front that we so carefully construct, or cardboard cut out if you prefer, is little more than a veil through which the perceptive can see at a glance. Do you see your own securities reflected in that picture of Herod? Perhaps you haven't, honey. I hope you haven't, but I'm afraid you have. Because I've never known anyone who is completely secure. Some are much more secure than others. But I've yet to see the person whose security is so complete that there's no crack in it anywhere. Not even vanity. Sadly, we know that's not true. You may be insecure in your job and therefore your sensitivity to anything and everything that threatens your security, real or imaginary, you're tempted to exaggerate your achievements, to build up your accomplishments in the eye of people who might supplant you. So perish all rivals, as they say at times. I've seen people who wouldn't, couldn't watch the rising rivalry of an associate. Perhaps not by direct lies, but by deception of one kind or another, detracting from the ability of that person because he or she threatens their own position. Undermining, easy done. Or your security can be an entirely different area. It may be that your insecurity has to do with your personal attractiveness, your ability to draw people to you. And we all like doing that. You're afraid that you're losing this if you ever had to. It's so you lie about your age among other things. You may try to act like 20 year olds in order to hide the fact of your three score years and ten. Your insecurity may be in your character. You may not be the kind of person that you would like to be. 
that you want people to think you are and so you lie to yourself about your sins. You shrink your weaknesses and magnify your strengths until you become an entirely different person in your own eyes. You rationalise yourself right out of reality. Whatever your insecurity may be, you begin to see it as you see yourself reflected in this story about an insecure king and a deception to which his insecurity habitually led him. The wonderful thing is that you see this reflected against the background of him who is the truth. First his truth dwarfs you, then it judges you. The grandeur of his truth, so uncompromising, so unspotted with any of the deception to which we are attempted, that it makes you feel meaner than you did before. But in the end it fortifies you, magnifies you, because you know that as you lose yourself in him, who is the truth, gradually your security will deepen and your power to overcome this temptation which is in you to deceive yourself and others will grow. So do we see ourselves reflected in heaven? That's the question we must ask ourselves. Then we begin to look at the wise men. They were just as different from Herod as day is from night. They were preoccupied, not with himself at all, but with the stars. They were men who had set their minds on great things. They were seekers, searchers. They were valiant, reaching for something. They were willing to make any sacrifice to attain it. They wanted the truth. The one thing that Herod couldn't bear to know. And I asked myself, can I find any trace of myself in these men? Not as much as I wish I could. People are divided into two groups, the cautious and the courageous. In the cautious group are those who want to sit tight and stand still, the timid souls, the people whose primary concern is to keep what they have and who seldom dare to break loose into an unknown world. The people in the courageous group are the climbers, the innovators, the adventurers, the people who are out in front where no one has ever been before. I know that in some ways I'm in the first group, that's where my basic temperament puts me. My natural disposition is to be cautious. Imagine I observed the rising of the star and set up to pay homage to the baby. If the wise men had done nothing else, would you know anything about them? I don't think. But the story goes on to tell how they followed a particular star. When they saw the star they were looking at, they stopped studying the stars and began travelling. There are a great many lessons which might be, you might consider about that. Only to say this, there's a time to be quiet and a time to be active, a time to sit still and a time to be up and doing. The wise person is the one who knows when to do. Which. Perhaps that's one reason why men were called, the men were called wise. They left comfortable homes and turned westward towards the unpredictable dangers of the desert. In this pandemic time, do we reflect on truth? One of the things we know about the nature of truth is that you can't hide it, nor will it be hidden forever. Tell a child a secret, and how long is it before it's blurted out? 
If you bury a treasure in some secret place where you think no one can possibly find it, sooner or later, somebody will come along and dig it up. There's so many hordes hidden by the Romans, it's unreal. But somebody's gone and found them and dug them up. That's how they know they were there. Guard the secrets of nuclear energy. Sooner or later, every nation in the world will know it. The truth, however, doesn't hide itself. The stars do not hide their distance from the sun, nor from the earth, nor the sun that the planets spin around it. The time of the Magi was one in which the world was full of uncertainty and strife. Like the Magi, I and many others would want to seek out the baby. Jesus, the one who put all things right. Today, man is looking to change things after the pandemic and the Demacle's sword of climate change hanging over our head. And questions are being asked as to what sort of society and world do we want to live in? Do we want to escape from serving self into serving others? Are our present values the best? What kind of values do we need? The questions of adventure for today. There are adventures today. The supreme adventure for our time isn't an adventure in the material universe like Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson and my friend Ellen Musk are trying to find their way into space. But it's an adventure in the spiritual life of humanity. How can so many people with so many different interests from so many different backgrounds and cultures speaking so many different languages holding so many different political points of view, thinking in so many different ways, behaving in so many different ways. How can they live so close together in peace? This adventure calls for more daring, more imagination, more sacrifice than any mountain, sea or star ever called for. When he set out to bring together the great nations of the world and help them find ways and means for settling their differences, you go straight out on a limb. And the more daring your suggestions are, the more likely the limb is to be locked on. This is your supreme adventure, to do your part to make this earth habitable. And you can begin in the only place that you can begin, your own home and in your core family. To bring together the people that are within these four walls into such a community that people can speak out and say, those are people who have learned, despite their differences, to live together in relative peace and happiness. You can see now, I hope, why the story of the wise man has always been one of the most popular stories of the Bible. It appeals to some of the very deepest things in us. Our curiosity, our thirst for adventure, our willingness to risk everything in our search for the highest. But there is a other reason to take interest in the Magi. It's a story of men who have found what they were looking for. These men travelled west as far as they could. And then they did what any sensible person would do. They inquired in Jerusalem. That's what you do in the Middle East. That's the sense of everything. They were sent by a distraught king to Bethlehem. And there they found a young mother and a baby. They presented their gifts and went back home another way. Were they disappointed? 
did they wish they had stayed at home and never made the effort of the journey and submitted themselves to the trials and hardships that were involved in that journey? Did they say to themselves it was hardly worth it? Did it seem to them that they found in Bethlehem what an anticlimax to all their searching? Did they know what they found there? We should never know the answer to these questions, but we do know that the people who told the story told it because they believed that Jesus is the end of everyone's search. They told it because they believed that in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That in him was gathered the essence of life, as if in a core, so that it could burn and live. They told it because they believed that in him the hopes and fears of all the years met. This is difficult for people today, if they're honest, especially for educated people who want to be worldwide in their interest and broad in their appreciation of religions different from their own. This seems to them at first sight a very narrow point of view, saying that he who is the centre of our religion is necessarily the centre of everybody else's religion, and that all others must be secondary to him. No matter how much they think of Jesus, they find it almost impossible to think that only in Jesus can people find this life that is free from the tyranny of sin. The answer to the question isn't an answer that can be put in a few words. Especially not at the end of a passage on a Sunday morning. I'm going to say something for you to ponder perhaps later. More and more as we look life around us, not only today but in previous years, are we not impressed by the fact that God works in singularities as well as in multitudes, that God is revealed more intensely in the one than in the many. For instance, there are many poets in ancient times, but there was only one Homer who sang the way Homer song. There were many nations in ancient days, but only one Israel that did what Israel did. There are many musicians, but only one bark. There were many explorers, but only one Columbus. There were many good men, but only one Jesus. Only one sermon on the mount. Only one parable of the prodigal son. Only one Gethsemane. Only one Calvary. And only one empty tomb. God is revealed in the many and in all the variety of human life. But the fullness of God is also revealed in a single life, and that life for us is Jesus. Let us pray. Open our minds, O oh God, that we may never settle down in the familiar and comfortable, so that we are not ready to rise up and follow the stars that lead us on and on. Help us in our life on, here on earth to start out in the great adventure of finding a way of life with our fellow men and women, as we have foretold by our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.